Indeed is made possible through the generous support of Manitou Fund. A special thanks to them for helping us share the hidden world of water with you. Hey, Lauren. Hi, Jed. All right, I'm recording on my end. <clears throat> All right. I have some tape I want to play for you. Okay. Are you ready? Yeah. So I was standing in this guy's backyard in Chicago, and he pulls out this plastic bag. So this is solid lead. That is Miguel Del Toro. He is a retired water scientist, and he pulls out this little chunk of dull gray metal, like maybe the size of a little avocado. This is actually a piece of a lead service line. What, what's a lead surface line? It's a pipe that connects your house to the city water system. These pipes were installed a really long time ago in most places, like decades and decades. Miguel's was probably put in back in the 1920s. <laughs> he pulled it out because lead is not exactly something you want to be drinking out of. Oh, wait, so he pulled it out of a bag, but before the bag, he pulled it out of his Yard? Yeah, he paid to have it ripped out when he was doing work on his property. Wow, okay. He replaced it because he, he wanted to put in something safer. And lead is a really weird metal. So he pulled out this busted pair of red scissors he had laying around in his garden. And he showed me exactly how different lead is from any other metal you might use to, to try to get water to your house. Yeah. You'd hear that kind of tinny metallic sound on a galvanized iron pipe or a copper pipe, but this on lead, you don't hear anything at all. And you can see I'm scraping it and it's turning shiny. Well, why was it getting shiny? Because the outer sections of the lead were just wearing off. Oh. Scraping away with the scissors, yeah. Lead is really soft as part of what made it a great plumbing material, easy to bend and, and pull into different shapes. So we went back inside and Miguel just like made this beeline for this kitchen sink and he started washing his hands. Is it bad to like touch lead pipe? It won't go through your skin, uh, but yeah, you want to wash your hands really good because that's how kids get poisoned, right? They touch the windowsill, put their hands in their mouth, so you wash your hands. The federal government banned lead in paint back in the 1970s. But sometimes it still surfaces in old houses. And some older houses also have a lead service line delivering their water. Most scientists seem to agree now that wherever you have these lead service lines that hook you up to the water supply, there's a good chance there's going to be lead in your water. And if the water chemistry gets out of whack or treatment gets messed up, you can have a crisis like we saw in Flint. Starting around 2014, thousands of kids in Flint were exposed to high levels of lead in their water. In some houses, the water simply wasn't safe to drink. And a lot of that can be traced back to these lead pipes. How widespread is this? Chicago is kind of an outlier because up until 1986, the city was only using lead pipes to connect homes to city water. Wow. That's not that long ago. I mean, right now I'm in Los Angeles and I can't help but like wonder what is connecting to, to my house. We don't have great records, but scientists who've been looking at this stuff for years think that there could still be as many as 9 million lead pipes connecting homes to the water supply all over the country. Oh, wow. 
So as many as 22 million people, probably more, still drinking and cooking with water that travel to them through these lead service lines. From American Public Media and The Water Main, this is In Deep. I'm Jed Kim. We're the podcast that shines a light on the neglected world of pipes and sewers that are supposed to keep our water safe, but don't always. Over the past year, producer Lauren Rosenthal's been exploring this problem of lead in drinking water. Today, she's going to tell us why millions of people may still have lead in their tap water. And she's going to tell us what that means for their health. But she's going to start by telling us why we ever had lead pipes in the first place. The lead industry had a pretty big role to play in this. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Back in the 18 and 1900s, they were manufacturing lead paint and these lead water pipes, which seemed great at first because they were really durable. They were really bendy, easy to form around other existing structures. If you look at it from an engineer's point of view, actually made a lot of sense because lead, while it was expensive, it was very long-lasting. It lasts longer than the other commonly used products. That's Richard Rabin. He's a historian and a public health activist based near Boston. And he spent a ton of time trying to understand how these pipes got marketed by the companies that made them. So then, you know, they, it's obviously in their interest to keep people using lead. Yeah. And the way they went about it is kind of interesting. The Lead Industries Association, which is kind of this industry lobbying group, went to cities and said, hey, if you're hooking up houses to the water supply, lead pipes are the best of the best. This is what you want to be using. Uh And the industry also reached out to plumbers. Hmm. In some cities, the Lead Industries Association actually helped train plumbers so they'd be licensed to use lead. And that meant they'd be in a better position when it came time for cities to start installing all these amazing lead service lines. Oh. Oh, that's really sneaky. Maybe a little convoluted, but according to Richard Rabin, it was pretty effective. They had a good deal of success. They got a lot of the building codes and the plumbing codes to say that lead was okay. But did the plumbing industry... I mean, did they not know that lead was harmful? Well, there was some denial about it. But we do have a lot of journal articles and a pretty strong body of evidence that doctors knew these lead pipes probably weren't a great idea pretty early on. Certainly starting with the late 1800s, there were a lot of doctors publishing a lot of articles, both in the United States and in Great Britain, saying this is, this is poisoning people. And by the 1920s, even the people who were designing the water infrastructure were saying, no, we, can, we can't be doing this. The medical people were right. <laughs> so then the doctors agreed. It, it, it sounds like builders did too, that um, lead pipes weren't okay. And, and yet we kept using them to hook up our houses to the water system? For decades and decades. So a lot of older homes used to have lead pipes in their internal plumbing or fixtures with lead, and that is still a concern. But if a house has a lead service line, there's a significant risk that lead levels could get really high. 
The lines contain a lot of lead. It can leach out. It can chip off if the pipe gets knocked around, like if there's construction work in the street. So, like, jackhammering in Chicago? Like, that almost never happens. Are you kidding me? <laughs> that, that can lead to a spike in lead levels. That's partly why scientists say anywhere you have a lead service line, you're likely to have some lead in the water. Okay, and so what are the health effects of that? Lead is toxic. Uh, In high doses, it can be fatal. In even lower doses, though, it's still not good for you. Small doses of lead can cause developmental problems in kids, things like problems with attention and focus, lost IQ points. And there are some things you can do to, to, like, lessen the impact, but it never really goes away. What do you mean it never really goes away? Does it accumulate in your body and then just stay there? Yeah, it does. We have medical treatments to get lead out of the body, but they've only proven effective for people with super high doses that have built up. So for most people, it's just something you live with. I'm just trying to wrap my head around this. Like, It seems that people know that this is a problem. Um, what's being done? Most scientists now will tell you the only safe thing to do for getting these pipes taken care of is to just take them out. But that's never been something that we've required on a grand scale in this country. About 30 years ago, EPA kind of struck a bargain. And they said, if utilities do regular testing and they push chemical treatments to coat the inside of pipes so there's no chance that anything could leach out, like, we'll let you go. And if lead levels get too high, we're going to send you back to the drawing board. You might have to change your treatment And if things get really bad, we might make you remove the pipes. Oh, interesting. Yeah, so that rule is like 30 years old. Yes. And Miguel Del Toro, the water scientist in Chicago, who we heard from a bit ago. Um, Would you like a cup of coffee? He said there were some huge problems with it. Who, Who is Miguel? Why does he know so much about this? He started his career at EPA right around the time they put that rule into effect. Exactly. Yeah, lead and copper rule was born when I... When I was born into drinking water, in a sense. He's kind of a mild-mannered, middle-aged dude. (laughs) Like, he was in a T-shirt and glasses and jeans the day I went to his house. He's tight with his family, and he's known his wife forever, since they were just teenagers. I met her while I was attending an all-girls high school. (laughs) Wait, what? It's true. (laughs) Miguel got in trouble his senior year. He says there was a fight, and he had to leave school. And his family... There were 10 of us, very religious. ...was super involved in their church, and the priest said, Miguel can just come here. (laughs) To our all-girls school. I got a nice prize out of it. Miguel met his high school sweetheart, and they've been married now, more than 30 years. So Miguel's the kind of guy who's in it for the long haul then. (laughs) Yeah. And his career was the same thing. Miguel got a job at EPA right out of college, found his way into drinking water, the science of it, the safety. He just never turned back. I loved it. It was challenging, but it was really very rewarding work. You were trying to figure out ways to protect people, drinking water, everybody needs it. And I just liked it. I became the regulations manager in the drinking water program. So I worked on pretty much every drinking water regulation from 91 on. And in all those years, from 91 up until last year when he retired, Miguel says the lead and copper rule sticks out. This one by far has been the most controversial. It has been the most challenging. 
When things go wrong under this lead and copper rule, they can go really, really wrong, putting people's health and their safety at risk. I mean, I hear this and I, I can't help but think of Flint. Bingo. The city found slightly elevated lead levels in the water, but said there was no cause for alarm. I'm terrified of what the aftermath of this could be neurologically for my children. Who's tired of not being able to turn on your faucet and drink water? Flint was this public health disaster in the news for months and months. And Miguel was smack in the middle of it. Really? Lauren, can you remind me exactly what happened in Flint that led to the crisis? So about six years ago, Flint was in a really tough financial spot. The state sent an emergency manager in to try to find some savings in their budget. And they came up with this plan to switch Flint's water supply to the Flint River, change up the water treatment, hopefully cut down on the city's water bills. Mm. But the water from the Flint River is naturally more corrosive. The corrosive water ate away at the protective coatings that had built up inside their lead service lines and just unleashed insane amounts of lead into people's water in some homes. The quantities that were detected were higher than what we would consider toxic waste by scientific standards. Oh, my God. And Miguel was one of the people who helped uncover this. He drove out to Flint after hearing complaints from people in the community. He helped arrange for tests to confirm that Flint's water wasn't safe. And Miguel's findings leaked to the media. So he was a whistleblower? Yeah. And when officials from Michigan and the federal EPA got hauled in front of Congress to answer for this, what went wrong? Why didn't people in Flint find out about this sooner? Miguel was right in the middle of that, too. This is his boss's 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 boss, EPA Administrator Gina McCarthy, testifying before the House. And if people are worried about whether we silenced Miguel del Toro, Miguel is a hero on this. He remains a central part of our decision-making. He's one of our experts we rely on. The simple fact is that... Hero. Wow. Mm -hmm. So Flint was a wake-up call for a lot of people. That is exactly right. I've talked to a lot of experts over the last year almost. Pretty much everyone says we are primed for another lead and water crisis as long as we still have these lead lines in the ground. Because all it takes is one slip up with water chemistry. Mm -hmm. And that's why Miguel and other people who work on water say the rules that we have to protect us from lead aren't working. Wait, why not? So there are a couple of problems. And the first is not enough testing. For example, in Chicago right now, the feds require a sample of 50 homes every three years. I'm sorry, 5050? Yeah. Every three years? Yes. If lead levels spike, that could increase to 100 houses every year. And some cities will do extra testing. But if it's not required, other governments may not bother. There's other stuff they need to be doing. So that's the baseline. Oh my God. Okay. The other problem is the kind of test they're doing. Miguel says the way samples are collected, they're supposed to capture the worst case scenario. So water that's been sitting in the pipes, usually overnight, with lots of time for lead to leach out. Now, we know that lead service lines can leach a whole lot of lead. But we're not actually gathering the water that's been hanging out in those pipes. Wait, why? What, what are we getting? Instead, 
were getting water that came from inside people's home plumbing in most cases. So you might find some lead in it, but if the house has a lead service line, basically the tests are just missing the contamination that's really there. My colleagues at APM Reports looked at data in Chicago and in Michigan, where lead testing's been expanded recently. And we found that lead levels in people's drinking water, if they live in homes with these lead service lines, on average, it was two to three times higher than what was being reported to EPA with its standard test methodology. So that means levels could be two to three times higher than what the government knows about and what we get told as consumers. What's happening is you're getting a false sense of security. So the lack of information not only prevents the problem from being identified and fixed, but it can also harm families because if you are telling them their water is fine and they have a lead line, that's probably not true. And they're going to be harmed. Wait, so we all know this is a problem. And it sounds like many scientists agree that the pipes should come out. Why don't we just do it already? There are proposals to pay for it in Congress, but that hasn't happened. Infrastructure funding keeps falling apart, and most cities don't have the money. If we look back in history, right, cities were the ones that allowed and sometimes mandated the use of lead for carrying water to people's houses. Now that it's time that we need to think about taking it out, some cities are sticking people with part of the bill. We're going to start this part of the story in Washington, D.C., Nearly 20 years ago, the city found itself in the middle of a lead and water disaster. D.C.'s Water and Sewer Authority realized lead was leaching from lead service lines into tap water in D.C. homes. So the water treatment changed and lead levels just spun out of control. Some scientists think this disaster may have been worse than Flint because it took so long to find out about it and fix it. Oh man, I do not remember this. How did they, uh, like, what happened? How did they get out of it? Eventually, it did get fixed. Lead levels came down. But these utilities said, we have to do something about this. We have to fix these old lead service lines. The permanent solution is to take them out. So that's what they did. The utility would arrange for everything, right? They would arrange with the contractor to come and, you know, which day it would happen. Everything would be done. That's Karen Baylor, a scholar-in-residence at American University in D.C. She took a really close look at who got their pipes replaced and who didn't. Right, who didn't? Like, they didn't replace everyone's pipes? No, D.C. didn't actually remove pipes for just anyone. Like, at least not at first, and not all the way. Hmm. The way it worked was the utility would send out notices... And they tell people, hey, in six weeks, we're going to be here, we'll be in your neighborhood, and we're going to swap out old lead service lines. You don't have to worry about the part that's out in the street hooked up to the water main, because we're going to pay for that. The customer, however, needed to pay for the portion on on the private property. Now, it was convenient for the homeowner, but they would have to they'd have to write the check. Mm-hmm. How much was that? Usually between $2,000 and $2,500. Right. For families who couldn't afford it, the utility said, hey, don't worry about it. We'll just put in the new pipe on our side out in the street, and we'll hook it up to the old lead pipe that's leading into your house. Is that, I mean, is that an improvement? Like, you 
have a lot of the pipe is is no longer lead, but you you do still have some lead pipe touching your water. Yeah, and and there's not just that because remember I told you earlier that doing construction work can cause lead levels to spike. All right. Remember, because it knocks the service line around and it breaks mm-hmm. stuff loose. Yeah, yeah, jackhammering in Chicago. It's the same problem. You're knocking the old line around. You're potentially pushing lead into people's water. Even if you hand out filters to help mitigate that, you can never be sure people are using them right or replacing them. And Karen Baylor says it's, yeah, it's kind of a gamble. Okay, so... Who did get the full, uh, like, the safe replacement? Is it going to be people who could afford it, like middle class and up? Yeah, people in wealthier neighborhoods were way more likely to just pay and get the whole pipe removed. Then you don't have to worry about it. But D.C. is also really segregated. And Karen Baylor could see what effect that had when she looked deep into the numbers. The relationship with race was the strongest statistically of all of the different factors that we looked at. People living in predominantly black neighborhoods were way more likely to be left with these pipes and likely lead in their water. DC eventually realized, yeah, that's not what you want to have happening. And finally, last year, the city started paying more to help people remove their pipes, no matter how much money they make. John Dagnan is with DC Water, helping to coordinate this. He says it doesn't matter how many times you tell people that lead is a risk. Unless the homeowners have access to those financial resources, or we would potentially see not as uh, high of a participation in replacement. That's why the new funding that just came into effect this past October is such a huge step forward. So now D.C. will cover up to 100% of the cost, depending on how much money you make. Karen Baylor says this is basically the gold standard. Denver's just starting to do this now. Take out all the lead service lines across the city. Chicago says it wants to get the ball rolling. And Madison, Wisconsin did it too and finished years ago. But a little over an hour from Madison, just down the highway in Milwaukee, it's not going so smoothly. We'll be back after this short break. To find out what it's like for someone who's living in a place that has a lot of lead service lines left over, but still figuring out what to do with them all, a city with lots of older homes where lead was used for a long time, I turned to Milwaukee. Yeah, this is... Um, and a longtime resident named Tori Lowe. It's not being glitchy at all. I can hear everything. He's an activist in Milwaukee and a father of four. He had to Skype me from his attic to get some peace. Up here, it's just no man's land almost. Okay, so why Tory and why Milwaukee? Tory's been active in the community in Milwaukee for years now, mostly as an advocate working with victims of violence, people caught up in the legal system. He even ran for city council this spring and lost. I would have loved to meet up with him in person, but COVID happened, so we had to Skype. And Milwaukee, well, Milwaukee kept using lead for new water connections until pretty late. Not into the 80s like Chicago, but up until about 1950. Wow, yeah. I mean, there are a whole bunch of houses still that were like predate that. Yeah, Tori lives in a house on Milwaukee's north side, which is older. And even today, there are still thousands of lead service lines connecting people to city water. 
including at Tori's house. So he switched his family to bottled water just to be safe. But somehow, Tori's five-year-old son still tested positive for lead poisoning. You know, once they said he had lead poisoning, now I've, I tried to figure out how did he get it because we don't drink the water, we don't have lead paint issues in our home, he's not tall enough to reach the kitchen sink. And then one day I just started following him around, just kind of watching him. I looked in the bathroom and he's drinking the water out the, out the bathroom sink. I asked him, I said, how long you been doing this? And he was like, I always wash my hands and drink the water. That's what he said. He always does it. Oh, my God. Yeah. Now, it's always possible that Tori's son encountered lead somewhere else, maybe in dust from lead paint at his grandparents' house, maybe even at school. But seeing his son drink out of the faucet, knowing about lead and water, Tori says it was a shock. From there, I just freaked out because I thought I was taking all the measures. I thought I was doing everything the right way. And next thing you know, you find out you didn't take enough precaution. I didn't think to put a filter on the, the bathroom sink because we didn't drink water out of the bathroom sink. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have thought of that either, but that must have been like terrifying to see your kid doing that. Mm -hmm. So what did he do? Like, did he pay to get his pipe removed? Did he do it himself? No, he can't because Tori rents his house. Oh, that's messed up. He asked his landlord about it, and they tried to figure out if there was some kind of help available to get the pipe replaced. And there is, sort of. <laughs> sort of? So it's not like uh, the gold standard like Washington? It's complicated because Milwaukee will cover more than half the cost but only if you check certain boxes, like your service line is leaking. But even then, you'd still have to pay about $1,800. Well, I mean, what do you do if you don't qualify? Like, I mean, if you're lucky enough that your, your pipe doesn't break. Yeah, it's kind of like vintage Washington, D.C. If you want to replace your pipe and you're willing to pay for the work yourself, the city will meet you halfway, and they'll replace the section that's out in the street. So... Is this, how much of this is happening in, in uh, Tori's neighborhood? Tori doesn't think it's happening that often. And to him, this is not a huge surprise. His neighborhood really struggles with high unemployment, poor quality housing, schools. He says the money to replace lead service lines just isn't there. Most of these landlords don't want to pay that to do that, you know what I mean? So it's not a, it's not a real good plan in, in place. It's, a, it's only Band-Aid ideas that will only just quiet the people down and without any real results in the long run. So unless the government pays for it in a big way, Tory feels like low-income families and renters are just going to get stuck with lead in their water. Hmm. His son has behavioral problems now that are pretty common in kids with lead poisoning. He shoved a girl. And he was uh, really aggressive toward his uh, peers and... Some of it is being a boy, and some of it is um, maybe because I've read that um, lead poison children are, they lack comprehension, so sometimes they can uh, take a more aggressive route. I don't know. It's maybe, you know, I, I, I'm still trying to understand it. You know what I mean? This is what's hard about having a child who's been exposed to lead it's really difficult to know what you're seeing. Like, the effects tend to show up across a whole population of kids. So like a school, you might see test scores or the graduation rate dropping. 
But looking at one kid, lead exposure is subtle. Unless your child is really severely poisoned, there may not be any outward sign. And as a parent, you just wind up second-guessing yourself, not knowing what's lead poisoning and what's just your kid being a kid. So we know that a lot of children in Milwaukee have elevated lead in their blood, but it's hard to say how it's affecting them. And Tori doesn't want other people to have to go through this, not in his neighborhood or Milwaukee or anywhere. And God bless you and thank you. Oh, thank you so much. All right, we'll be in touch. All right, talk to you soon. Bye. So where does that leave us then? Like, are the most of us out on our own? Like, I mean, are we assuming that every house that has not ripped it out on their own dime has, like, has this lead hookup? If your house was built before the 1950s, if you're living in an older neighborhood, especially if you're in the Midwest or the Northeast, you might want to check it out. You can call the utility, and if they don't know, you can call a plumber. Or you can investigate it on your own. I mean, if you can get to where your service line is, then, like, what are you looking for? Yeah. Back in Chicago, Miguel Del Toro was nice enough to show me. Do you want to go down in your basement and look at some pipes? Sure. Come on. I should look where I'm going. If you can get down to your basement or your garage, wherever that service line enters your house, and you can see a section of it. They're going to come up right inside the front wall in most homes. And it's kind of hard to see the service line coming in because it comes straight up. So hidden in this little wooden box in the utility closet of Miguel's basement. It's down here, and this is a copper pipe coming in. There is a shiny copper pipe. And you have the shutoff here in case you need it. So you can do the scratchy, scrapey test that Miguel showed me. Yeah. You'd hear that kind of tinny, metallic sound. Like out in his backyard at his house. You scratch against the piece of pipe that you can see with something metallic. And if it goes from dull gray to shiny and you don't hear any sound, it's probably lead. Have you gone down to check the pipes leading into your house? I live in an apartment building. It's actually a big old house built in like the 1920s. And I don't think I have access to the part of my house (laughs) where the service line comes in. I'd have to like get real friendly with my downstairs neighbors. And I haven't done that yet. (laughs) You could be like, hey, look, this is all in all of our interests. Yes. Yeah. Here's some coffee and muffins, (laughs) and I'm just going to go spelunking in your house. Sorry. I got real freaked out talking to Lauren. I mean, I got a toddler in the house, and I decided I needed to check what was connecting to my house. So I went on next door, and I asked my neighbors, does anybody know if there are lead service lines connecting houses to the city lines? And nobody really knew. I didn't even know where to look for this pipe. So I hired a plumber to come out. Just come and take a look. Took out a little shovel and was digging away the dirt next to the street. I, of course, grabbed my microphone to record him doing it. I was standing there, masked because of COVID, just waiting to hear, you know, what's the prognosis. Okay. And? It's a copper pipe. Happily. Oh. Copper pipe connection here. No lead. Okay, so that's 
the best option. Yes. Okay. So you you guys are okay. All right. Thank you so much. Yeah. So I do not have to spend thousands of dollars to rip up my yard and replace my plumbing. But if it was this hard for me to figure out what kind of service line I had, I mean, asking neighbors, hiring a plumber to come out. I mean, imagine what it must be like for people who don't have money that they can spend solving this problem. Next time on In Deep. Letcher County, Kentucky, coal country, where mining companies once supplied water to tiny towns, but nobody treated the sewage. And a retired miner stepped up to help bring cutting-edge waste treatment to the county, but things got complicated. Thanks to all the people who made this episode of In Deep happen. Miguel Del Toro is a retired EPA scientist. Richard Rabin directed the Occupational Lead Poisoning Registry at the Massachusetts Department of Labor for over 20 years. Tori Lowe is an activist in Milwaukee. And Karen Baylor is a scholar-in-residence at American University. Our production team for this episode includes Lauren Rosenthal, Dan Ackerman, Todd Melby, Annie Baxter, Chris Julin, and we also had reporting help from Will Kraft at APM Reports. I'm Jed Kim. Breakmaster Cylinder composed our theme music. In Deep is a production of The Water Main at American Public Media. 